Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And you can follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. Since the early 1980s, today's guest has been one of the most celebrated casting directors working on Broadway. He has shown the spotlight on newcomers like Nathan Lane and Viola Davis, brought actors Van Johnson and Eve Arden back into the public view. That's Van Johnson at the Palace Theater, Akajo Cole, and has collaborated with Mike Thank Nichols, you. Neil Simon, Arthur Lawrence, Jerry Zaxon, Woody Allen, to name just a few. The shows he has cast reads like a punch card of the theater's memorable and infamous moments. Merlin, Moose, Murders. I'm just glad I get to say those two words together. La Cajo Fall, 1989's Gypsy, 1990's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Nick and Nora, Laughter on the 23rd Floor, 1994's Grease, 2009's West Side Story, and over 20 more. To tell us what it was like to work on all these productions, here is the casting director to the stars, Stuart Howard. Stuart, I am very excited because I think you are our first guest who had any involvement whatsoever yes. Yes. On Moose Murders. Yes. <laughs> yep. I knew, Rob, it's like, we didn't even plan this, but that is literally my first question as well, was please tell us George, about Moose can, Murders. Can you walk us through this iconic thing in the American theater, please? Sure. Oh, yeah, great. Um, I, I am sitting in a room, actually, right underneath the Eve Arden poster. Oh, my God. <laughs> The great um, Eve Arden. I can't wait to hear about this. The great Eve Arden, and I got to meet her, which was wonderful. Oh, yes. Um, at any rate, I had done very little. Um, we had cast Merlin and Lacage. Um, so, you know, that was good. Um, and I got a phone call from... I think the name of the company was Theater Now, mm -hmm. and um, it was Eddie Davis was the GM. And Eddie called me up and said, we have a, a new play, and we'd love to meet you to have you cast it. And I said, great. Um, what I wanted to say was, oh, you don't have to meet me. I want to do it. You know, I I don't know what it is, but great. Right. And um, I got the script and I started reading it and I was laughing out loud on the subway. Really laughing out loud. And I came back to the office and there were two other people that I wanted to read it, my associates at the time. And uh, they read it and they said, you were joking when you said you were laughing out loud? And I said, no, I really like this. And they said, oh, okay, well, you're wrong, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we started. Um, I met, then I don't believe I ever met anyone until we started working. Um, hmm. 
you know, like meeting the producer. I mean, yeah. I knew Eddie Davis from the business, although we had never worked together. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, uh, I met the director um, and pro- I suddenly realized after like the third meeting and the way they were talking that this was a vanity production. Mm. Uh, they had a lot of money. I believe it was Texas oil. And vanity for whom? The leading lady, not the Eve Arden Holland Taylor role, but the leading lady was the wife of the director oh. and an actress. And and according to I, you know, I'm looking it up online, and the director was also the producer. John Roach. Yes. <laughs> wow, well, this is a vanity project. Okay. Uh, and she was not, she was a fine actress. She did the role. This, I can't remember her name. Um, Lily? Is a, yeah, a, yeah, Lily Robertson. That, yes. that was the wife of the yep. director-producer. They were young. Um but not kids, uh, probably in their 30s. (laughs) And um, we got strange feedback from the people auditioning. Um, Older women who came in for the lead would whisper to me, is this some kind of a joke? Am I on candid camera? Oh. And it was. Uh-oh. And I, and I just kept being a naive fool, I guess. <laughs> because I kept saying, I love it. I think it's great. And they would just stare at me. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, we usually, after a play is cast, we have nothing to do with it again until opening night. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but we did get a call that Eve was not doing well. And I didn't really fight the director, but I said, well, how can she not do well? She was a star on the stage. She was a star in the movies. She's talented. She's Eve Arden. It's Eve Arden. She was also a star on radio and on television. I uh, had met her. I had uh, come to a rehearsal. And at the very end of the day, and I just said I wanted to... um, say hello and tell you what a fan I am. And she said, then let's go out for dinner. (laughs) And I said, really? Um, Sure. Great. And so um, uh, her husband was not in New York at the time. And so I guess she was looking for somebody to eat dinner with. And so that was lovely for me. And then I get this call and I said, well, I couldn't believe that they were saying we want to replace her. Right. Um, but they did. And I immediately called Eddie Davis and I said, they've got to be joking. And he said, yeah, I'd like to believe that, but they don't seem to be joking. Wow. And I said, um, don't they start reviews in 10 days? <laughs> and he said, yeah, we can put that off, but not long time off. And I said, do they have anyone in mind? Someone we auditioned? And he said, no, it's somebody you brought up Holland Taylor's name to them. And they knew her somehow. I don't think they really knew her. I think they knew who she was. 
And I knew Holland's agent, and I called up, and he said, I would have to ask her. She's going to be playing the lead in a Broadway play in 10 days. And I said, yeah. (laughs) And um, she did. God bless her. Um, And she was absolutely terrific Mm. in the role. Not unlike Eva Harden. Right. Of course. Um, But as talented and lovely as she is, I must say that the morale in the company stayed terrific. That's good. It's now historical. I mean, you've met so many big people in your career. Is, is there anyone that just really starstruck you that made you, that even made you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm talking to fill in the blank? Well, Eve was one. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward Albee. Now, Stuart, how did you get into casting? Oh, that's another story. We love good. <laughs> um, I wanted, I thought to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And I got my master's degree and I'm sitting around New York. I'm from New York. And so being in New York was not like, oh my God, I had right. been to Broadway shows. When people say my first Broadway show that I saw was, yes, I don't know what it would be, but like something they go, well, I got to see Kinky Boots. It was my first show, and I went, oh, my God, Kinky Boots. <laughs> that was yesterday. Um, and I go, oh, really? Well, I saw the original Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and oh I God. saw, you know, things like that, and they just look at me. Um, at any rate, equity at that time was giving out free tickets to shows. You just had to show up at the equity office and see if there was anything there. And I got to tell you, four days out of five, there was shows. Um, And I went with friends, and then I got a phone call from a friend who said, I have to go to a very important audition today, and I'm a little scared. Will you go with me? And I had never, I thought that was this very strange request, but I went, sure, what am I doing? So it was at the Harold Prince office and it was for a national tour of Fiddler. Mm. And this middle-aged woman came out of her very tiny office and um, looked at me and said, which role are you reading for? And I said, oh, I'm just here for him. And she said, no, you're not going to just take up a chair. You're just here for him. Here, are you an actor? And I said, yeah. And she said, read this. And it was Muttle Taylor. And I, of course, I had seen Fiddler. And I went into her office. Her name was Shirley Rich. I did get the role, and my friend didn't. Um, uh, And I had the greatest year of my life, touring. Everybody says, oh, my God, a tour. It was great. They were paying me to play a leading role and seeing the entire country. Yeah. And I loved it. And, of course, the show is so worthwhile to do every night. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky in that the leading man, it's funny because I listened to your interview with Jerry Zachs when he talked about working with Zero Mostel. I did not have the good fortune to work with Zero Mostel, but I did work with Harry Goss, who had played the role for years on Broadway and became a very close friend. And his wife, who traveled with us, they taught me how to play poker because they saw me playing poker with 
some of the crew members and Uh-oh. they said, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> we will teach you how to play. <laughs> and they did. At any rate, I got back and I realized I didn't like going out of New York in order to pay the rent in mm. New York. Yeah. And I was not getting the thrills that I was in Fiddler or any other production. It was just not what I thought of in grad school. And I went to Shirley. Uh, She and Prince, because Jerome Robbins had nothing to do with, he came to see the auditions, but he and he did, yes, he did. We opened in Dallas, and he came to a few days in Dallas, and that was it. But it was Hal Prince who came and kept the show up. Um, and he was really nice to me, and Shirley was even nicer. And I asked her if I could see her. And she said yes, and I came into the her tiny little office, and I said, I'm not happy, and I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you have to stay with it, and she gave me a pep talk. There was a production of Fiddler just for Boston, and she called me and she said, I know you don't want to do another Fiddler, but do you want to do it? There won't even be an audition. And I went, well, that makes me feel good. So, sure. I mean, we played Boston during the year's tour, but um, it was a city I was always interested in. Um, At at any rate, um, I went to Boston. There was um, a day when we had a um, midweek matinee and an evening, And it was like winter, heavy rain, real, real ugly. No one wanted to go out between shows. And I was just reading a book and the costume uh, wardrobe supervisor came up to me and said, I always wanted to do your tarot card. And I kind of said, I don't know what that is, but I'm reading. (laughs) And she said, you can read anytime. So several people crowded around. I guess they didn't know what it was either. And she was explaining. She was terrific. And she said, "Um, I'm stuck on something that keeps popping up. You're going to leave your current job, which I take, meaning she takes, as theater. You're going to leave the theater, but you're going to stay in the theater. So I don't know what that means. And I said, well, don't look at me. I don't know what it means. (laughs) And she said, fine. Literally, one day later, I got a phone call from someone who was a grad student at Carnegie when I was a freshman. I didn't even think he knew me. And he said, your name keeps popping up. I am an agent at ICM. I didn't know what ICM was. I had an agent, but it certainly wasn't ICM. And... He said, I'm leaving ICM in about two months, and I need an assistant in order to open up. And I said, I don't know anything about being an agent. And he said, oh, I'll teach you. I didn't know anything when I, I thought I was going to be a director. His name was Bob Baker. He died very young of a heart attack. So I don't assume that you would know his name at all. I don't think it's come up. No. Um, He was partners a little later, about a year later, 
with one of the heads of ICM named Stark Hesseltine. Well, I've heard that name. Yeah. He was, he discovered and was the agent for, besides Jessica Tandy and Hugh Cronin, who I got to meet, um, he was the agent for Robert Redford and Elizabeth Ashley. Oh. And, like, it seemed that if there was a talented young person on Broadway, Stark was their agent. And then one day, I got a phone call from the head of what it was called personnel at the time. Mm. And now, I guess, is human resources. Yeah. And she said, I am the head of personnel at Ogilvy and Mather Advertising. And we it was a very strange way of presenting this to me. She said, we're looking for someone to be a cast, our casting director for commercials. And I said, oh, well, I don't, we don't even do commercials in this office. This office is just for theater. That's what we want. Someone who knows nothing about it. And I went in for, on my lunch hour, um, for a, um, an interview. And three months goes by. And they asked me to come back for the head of the agency. It wasn't David Ogilvy who was still alive, but he was in another country's office. He didn't live in the New York office. Um, and I met this woman and she said to me, how much do you make at your job? Uh, which I don't think was fair to do. And then she said to me, oh, never mind. Whatever it is, we'll give you twice. Oh. And I went, oh, okay. And when do you want me? And she said, two weeks. And I said, I can't do that to them. Uh, but I could do four. And she said, you could do three. <laughs> so I said, great. And I went back and I called a friend, the father of a friend of mine, who was a big businessman and had been a friend of my parents. And he said, I asked him, what do I do? How do I do it? How do I know I'm doing the right thing? He answered all my questions and he said, I have a sentence for you. Do you know you want to do the Ogilvy and Mather job? And I said, yes. And he said, go into your two bosses at the same time so that you don't have to go through it more than once. I told him I was really scared of doing it. And he said, and say the following sentence. I have been offered another job and I'm going to take it. And he said, therefore, you're telling them, please do not offer me more money. Mm. And he said, or would you stay? And I said, no, I don't think there's anything for me further. But mm. I starting at the bottom at Ogilvy, maybe something will. So I stayed five years at Ogilvy and made enough money to open an office of doing the kind of casting I really wanted to do. Which, which was? Theater. Yeah. And did you miss performing? Uh, did you ever, did you Not walk a one day? Wow. All right. Okay. So, Stuart, what makes a successful casting director? If, if a young person were to come to you and say, I want to do this, what advice do you have? I'm sure this is advice that everyone gives, but if there's anything else you can do, anything sure. else, do it. <laughs> and, of course, they all say, no, I have to do this. So then I really do talk to them. And actually... I don't know if you knew that I taught at the Juilliard School for... Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh you did? Yeah. Okay. That yeah. was basically what the class was. Um, because the head of the drama division, uh, Michael Kahn, 
was really involved in professional theater. Mm. Uh, not just educational theater. Oh, yeah. Um, and I would tell a young person, find out who you are. Find out what you can give to a play, to a musical. If it's the greatest voice in the world, then terrific. And take some dancing lessons. If you're the greatest dancer, please take some acting lessons. <laughs> and go to every audition you can possibly go to. Every audition. Even if you're auditioning for things, you never know. If somebody might say, which I have said, you have a lot of Shakespeare on your resume. I cast a lot of Shakespeare because I was the casting director for the Shakespeare Theater of Washington, D.C., of which Michael Kahn, again, was the artistic director. <laughs> I've cast almost every single play of Shakespeare's, at least once, like only once for Troilus and Cressida, but <laughs> and that's okay. That's many okay. times for plays like Twelfth Night, etc. And I said, I don't know that you're right for this play that I'm casting that you're auditioning for now. However, with all of this Shakespeare on your resume, I will be bringing you in. To meet Michael Kahn right, and audition right. for him. And of course, the next time there was a play, a Shakespeare, I would bring this person in, whoever it is. So go to every audition. You never know when a casting director is just going to say, you know, I like that guy and I'm going to keep pushing him. Can you can you watch a play or a movie without having your work hat on and just sit there and enjoy it? Hard question. <laughs> I guess the answer is yes and no. Uh, movies I can disappear into in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, plays, I, it kind of is work. Yeah. Because your mind is always going, right? Can, now, can you... Always. Can you walk our listeners through what does what actually does a casting director do? What is what is your responsibility? If a an actor is a product, the agent sells the product to the casting director who buys the product. I know no actors want to be thought of as a product but it's an easier way of saying it. Agents sell and actors, uh, uh, casting directors buy. Um, there are too many actors in New York City for a director to sit through all of the open calls that we might have to have. And therefore, I believe the casting director has to know what the director wants. To me, a very important part of the resume is where you went to school. Who were your teachers? Where did you study? Um, I know that the actors I respect have studied. I'm thrilled when I see actors doing well. I got to introduce, I love this, one of my favorite students at Juilliard was Viola Davis. Oh. Um, who, of course, is just, um, has a huge career and a great life, one assumes. Was she one of those that you saw in class and you said, oh, this one's got a big career ahead of it? No, I can't say that. I, <laughs> I, I just, um, I, I often say, I really hope they have a great career. Um, I never dreamed it would be that great. 
Let me ask, I've always wanted to ask you about Lacage because this is the early 80s. You know, there was no Will and Grace. There was no Brokeback Mountain. How did you convince people to, t- to, take, to take these auditions? Sometimes it was, it was very difficult. Sometimes they were smart enough. Like I brought in at the very beginning, Harry Gaz, because Alan Carr, the producer, actually the producers were Fritz Holt and Barry Brown. Mm. However, the name producer was Alan Carr. Alan said, we don't need stars because everyone will come to La Cajofo. And I said to myself, not to Alan Carr, really? They're going to come to a show with French words in the title? Um, I didn't understand, but most of what he did, I didn't understand. (laughs) And um, it was a, a very strange relationship, but I had Barry and Fritz, who were realistic in the midst of Hollywood craziness. Yes. And they introduced me to Arthur. And he was cool, but he was great. Mm -hmm. And I got to ask him questions like, you know, when someone doesn't show up and you have 15 minutes in the middle of an audition day, Mm -hmm. I would say to him things like, um, you know, the woman that Streisand plays in The Way We Were, is that based on a real woman? A real person, I'm sorry. I said, based on a real person. And he said, who are you thinking of? And I said, you. <laughs> and that's the kind of relationship that we had. Mm-hmm. I could ask him anything. I spent many wonderful weekends at his home in Quag. Mm. And then it changed. Um, But it was uh, great working with him. And when George Hearn did the London Company, he wrote to me soon afterwards just saying, the cast is great, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and I thought you'd like to know that Arthur started the first day by saying, this is really Stuart Howard's cast. I don't know you. I just saw the ones that he liked. Wow. And I cool. thought, wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah that's kind of- no, I was going to say, that's pretty incredible. I'm so curious. Uh, we know that George Hearn and Gene Barry are the ones who ended up with, with the roles. Who else was on that list? Oh, my God. I'll tell you the real story about George. Yes. The one about uh, the role of Georges, um, which was Gene Barry, this went on forever. Um, number one, Arthur made it very clear, which made my job, quote unquote, easier. Every single person must audition, mm. uh, even if they are stars. And many stars did. But, as you pointed out earlier, many stars weren't interested in auditioning. And they weren't auditioning in, uh, interested in auditioning for these roles in this show. Yeah. Number one, they didn't know anything about the show. Except if they'd seen the movie and they knew because I told the agents, the reason they have to audition is Arthur has never seen these people play this kind of role and wants to make sure they are never winking at the audience saying, I'm straight. And that really held, and it held well 
But we went through person after person after person, many movie stars, um, some of whom broke my heart when they came in because they shouldn't have come in. And so, but you got you got George Hearn, you got Gene Barry, two two pretty impressive names, if I say so myself. You want to know the George story? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I just, I'm bragging, but what the hell? I Brag. just thought it would be a great, great idea. And Alan Carr wanted, oh boy, he was a famous, quote unquote, drag queen, Charles. Oh, Charles Pierce. Yes, I think that was who it was. He said, well, he's going to audition. And Arthur didn't want to even hear about that. Um, but I guess I somebody just said to him, Barry or Fritz probably just said, it'll take 15 minutes. Don't worry about it. And he said, well, I'm really interested in seeing George. And they said, no, you'll see both of them. Oh. Um, Fritz especially could really be tough with um, Arthur. At any rate, we got the Belasco Theater, which was not in use at the time. So it was really cold when it was cold. Um, And he came, George, I'm talking about. Charles Pierce did a very credible audition. But he wasn't an actor. Yeah. Um, at any rate, he was first. And then George came on. George brought his good luck charm with him. His good luck charm was named Colleen Dewhurst. <laughs> she literally... And she just sat backstage, and then when he, she said to me, tell me when he is ready to start, and then I'll stand in the wings, just so that he can see me if he looks, because, Stuart, he's petrified. And I said, but he, he's George Hearn. And she said, all I can tell you is, he's petrified. And it didn't make him any less petrified to have Theoni here, Theoni Aldrich, uh, the costume designer. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Who dressed him. He was, I I don't know what he was wearing, jeans and a T-shirt or something. And he came in and they gave him a dressing room. And Theoni was there. And Pauline was in the dressing room. And... George looked great. I mean, he looked great. Um, Of course, it was all cold lighting. It wasn't, you know, the warmth that the show would have. But he got on the stage, and the minute he walked on, Arthur and Jerry and Harvey and all of us in the theater applauded. Mm. And... It warmed him up, and he sang Where or When and hoisted himself on the piano and sat on mm. it like a chanteuse. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's and so he cool. changed one lyric, and it's funny that I remember it. He said, um, he sang, The clothes you are wearing are the clothes I wore. <laughs> oh, and like that, that was the only change... Arthur, um, I think, went and spoke to him a little bit and um, privately and then came on and he did a different scene holding the book. He had memorized the the first scene he did. And then um, they said, now we'd like you to read with Stuart. Um, I read with all of the people for that show. I never hired a reader. Oh, I, well, I why do you really, why do you do that? 
Why did I do it? Yeah. As because opposed to Arthur having the reader. Said, yeah. Stuart's going to come on the stage now. <laughs> oh, that's And nice. I said, oh, okay. And then it just became a thing for that show. And, of course, the very next show was I hired an actor to be a reader. And um, it is one of the greatest things an actor can do for themselves. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to learn what actors do to trip themselves up. <laughs> and George gave a really superb audition, but I was not ready for, I mean, George left. Uh, with his good luck charm and with, you know, Teddy and Stioni or whatever, maybe they joined us. And I wasn't ready for Arthur to say, well, we're not going to get anybody better, so why don't we just cast him? Uh, that was it. And I called the agent that afternoon. And I wasn't used to anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was a walk-on, you know, or an extra, um, you could say like, oh, well, sure, yeah, he's great, cast him. But, like, this was the man the show is written about. Yeah. And George was wonderful. But really, you want me to call the agent? What if you change your mind? And Fritz and Barry said, we're talking about Arthur. It would take a two-ton truck to make him change his mind. (laughs) Um, So I called the agent, and um, they were as thrilled as I was. And he stayed for two years. And you know what we started there? Not that I can take any credit. Um, In the basement of the palace, was the first Broadway Cares Easter bonnet. Oh, really? David Scala, who was, I can never remember their names, but the one top center who stuck his tongue out. And he did the Easter bonnet, first one, in that basement, which means maybe there were 40 people there. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, um, we never thought it would be what it is, but it was those guys, those Kajel, who did the very first Easter parade. Uh, Bonnet. Oh, God bless them. Yes. A lot of people in that first company. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, died. Right. I'm sure. Th- I mean, I can't. I mean, that's something we talk about a lot on this on this broadcast. I mean, we can't even imagine, you know, the decimation and to get. You know, you're getting calls. You have to replace this 25 year old, this 27 year old. I, I can't that's even right. imagine what you were going. And through. don't forget, these are the days where, when people got into a show, they stayed in the show. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. like, oh, I'm in a hit show, so I'll leave next mm-hmm. week. Um, some of them were in the show for the five full years. Mm-hmm. Some of the Cajel, some of the Merle Louise who played Madame Dandon. Oh, yeah. Jay Garner who played Monsieur Dandon. John Weiner who played Jean-Michel. Those are leads. They stayed there. And it was Jay Garner, who, of course, was older than the Kajels, who said, do you know how often in your life you might get a five-year run? Oh, my gosh. The answer is never. Yeah. (laughs) So true. And he would take his salary, and every week that he had off, he would go to Vegas, and <laughs> that's what he told me. And he said, <laughs> I lose the money, so it's time to go home. And then I go back to the show and make more money. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's 
Jeffa helped you. Okay. It is. It's great. This is Lucille. Do you want to help keep Broadway behind the curtain on the air? Head over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar. Just tell them, here you come, pow, pow. Light the candles. Get the ice out. I'm going to sing until you give. Roll the rug up. Give today at Patreon. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What did you find in your incredible resume of shows? A project that you said, oh my God, how am I going to cast this? Was there one that just scared the life out of you before you even started going? Almost How? every single one. Really? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, unless the director, like a Jerry Zach, Howard Davies, um, Anna Levine, um, unless they just relaxed me. So it sounds like a, a strong casting director, director relationship is really what you need to, to do your best work. I mean, if someone, if you keep bringing in people. And I agree with you like, completely. What happens when you get into a situation and you and the director are just not, just not on the same page? How do you overcome that? I can tell you one show that it happened. There was no dislike. I don't think he disliked me. I certainly liked him and appreciated him as a director. But we did three one-acts at the theater that was on 3rd Avenue. Variety Arts Theater. Mm, Yes, right. Um, The first play was by David Mamet. The second play was by Elaine May. Then there was an intermission and... There was another play by Woody Allen, and it was called Death, D-E-A-T-H, Defying Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my knowledge, all three plays were new. Michael Blakemore was the director, and I would bring in people. It was a very, that this would be the, evening that would be impossible to cast. Mm. Um, Not because of Michael Blakemore, but because there were three different playwrights. Yeah, and the tones are... And they all wanted different things for Mm -hmm. their plays. Right. Except David Mamet. (laughs) I said to him, am I going to meet you? I can't remember why. I, I guess we liked actor number one. And so it was up to me to call David Mamet and say, can we cast him? Because he has to be in three of the plays, all three. And he said, I don't really know him, so sure. And I said, so when am I going to meet you? Um, And he said, why do you need to meet me? And I said, well, I don't need to meet you, but... I'd like to meet you. Um, And he said, yeah, maybe I'll come to see it. (laughs) And he wasn't being mean. He was just being, telling the truth. Right. 
Elaine was there at every audition. Woody was there. I think he was there all the time. Do you, I was going to say, it's what I find so fascinating is these people that seem so talented or so confident in the ability to like delegate and trust. Um, you must feel a lot of responsibility at that point. Am I correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, what if he really didn't want to say for whatever reason, I don't like her. I don't like her nose. I don't like, anything about her and then you have to talk yourself into well then he wouldn't have let you choose yeah and i thought well what happens if they get into rehearsal and it's eve arden time <laughs> now when when a production when when a producer calls you up a director calls you up and says hey look we've made we've made a mistake we need to recast this Right. Are you, are you the one that has to call the agent and say, hey, look, there, we got no. to let her go? No. You're spared that. Yes. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Yeah, I kind of have on, written a lot of stuff on um, Lacage. And a lot of it is really negative. Ne- negative in, in what way? Was it was it um, Alan Carr? With yeah, a lot of it was. A lot of it was. When you get a script and you start to cast it, do you like to read it, come up with your own ideas, then meet with the director, or do you read it, keep an open mind, and then go, let me hear what the director has to say? The latter. Mm. I always, it will always give me, even if those were the exact same names I would put on, and I cross my fingers that it is the exact same names, but it would be like finding a real quick way into the director's mind, soul, heart. Um, When Mike Nichols would say a name. It was never like, this is going to be a favor. And everybody has favors that they have to do, but not him. It was, I really like this actor. I want someone prettier. That's it. So I would say to him, give me the biggest star in the world that could play this part. And he would say, Either, uh, I don't know. Or he would go, uh, Dustin Hoffman. And, and I a, would know what he wants. You, you get it. And if you can't get him a Dustin Hoffman type. Oh, right? yes. Somebody yeah. that, that, yes. Is your only discussions with the director, or do you like to also, if the playwright is living, do you like to talk to the playwright as well? Or do you love all communication, just you and the director? If I could have it, it would be never the right. Great. Um, just let it be, except when it was Neil Simon. I was going to, so you did laughter on the 23rd floor. Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, this is an incredible group of people. It's yeah, it was. How did, how did, the, and, and first of all, at this time, Nathan Lane was the star of the show, right? He had just come off of guys and dolls. So he was a name, but yes. was that your idea? Was that Jerry's idea? Uh, he would have been on everybody's list. Um, I'm sure even Neil Simon. Yeah. You know, and it was, um, it was a given. But the other people in the show all auditioned, every single one. So you, you, I'm assuming, do you still have all your notes from all of these projects? I kept keep them for about five years <clears throat> because it changed yeah. so much. Oh, of and course. um, and I want actors to change. I want them to change as they live. Yeah, but you know, if it's a child, um, they're not going to be a child anymore. Yeah. Um. 
So I don't really keep them. But there was a day that I came across, let's say I read, looked through five pages of notes. Mm. I came across four people who died. And I just went, well, this is the most depressing thing. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Um, But I did, I still have the Grand Home. I I will keep any show that we look for stars. I'll look for the, you know. Yeah. Because a star is a star is a star. Um, The Grand Home Method, uh, the show we did with Jerry Lewis, the nutty professor that should have come in. That but then he got really sick. Um, it was an interesting old-fashioned musical, um, a wonderful book um, by Rupert Holmes. Yeah, I had only heard great things about this. Yeah, and the music was... Uh, 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 yeah, I've heard a couple of songs. Marvin. Gorgeous. Oh, my God. Yes. Just, just gorgeous. Um, and I'm still friendly with the guy that played the professor, Michael Andrew. Michael, His name oh, okay. is Michael Andrew. Amazing. And, well, Clea Blackhurst was in it too, right? <laughs> she was. I love Do her. you know who Kathleen Freeman was? Oh, absolutely, yeah. She played the Kathleen Freeman role from the movie. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. I love Clea, and I love Kathleen, but I love Clea. Yeah. I don't blame you. She's she is a special one. Now, do you get back to this when the theater is actually still going on and not quarantined? Do you get back a lot? I'm assuming to see just about everything. Fifty mm, percent. Yeah, you take I'm more chance. interested in seeing plays now. Mm, interesting. Um, and I still I will do any work for anyone that I've loved working with. Mm. When I moved out of New York City to Rhinebeck, I just decided it's too difficult to come into New York and have a lousy time. Yes. Um, And I want to have a great time. And I'm working on a movie now. So you're, um, I mean, an animated movie. This is great. So you're able to work up from Rhinebeck. You come in when you need to. Yeah. Th- th- this is pretty wonderful. I mean, this is so well-deserved that you actually get to, enjoy, you know, still work as hard as you are working, but you get to be a little bit more selective about when you want to come in, when you don't want to come in. And the fact is, I've never, I've done movies, but I've never done an animated movie. So um, this is great. So you're going to find a whole new, <laughs> a whole new thing. Exactly. It, and the people are delightful. Good. And I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that is fantastic. Now I'm going to end with you the same way I end with any other casting director we've interviewed. I'm going to ask you if you can remember, do you remember the most bizarre audition you've ever had to sit through? Yes, I do. It was for Lacage. Wait on us. There were a lot of bizarre auditions for Lacage because some people just did it wrong and didn't mm. know what we wanted. Um, and they would do both those silly gay people from 1930s movies. Ah, yes. Um, At any rate, in those days, I did all three days of EPAs. And it was the last of the three days, the last audition. And this man walked in on his hands. And he then jumped up without missing a step and started singing. He had told the pianist, when I land on my feet, start. And then he walked on his hands 
And we just started laughing and laughing. Brought him in for Arthur Lawrence. Uh, it was for an ensemble role and an understudy. And Arthur said, I really like this guy. Do you like him? And I said, yes. And I told him the story. And he said, you don't have to tell me anymore. He's cast. <laughs> That's but great. there were others like a woman who took off all of her clothes, oh. all of her clothes. Oh. And my associate, Paul Hart, said to her, boy, do you have the wrong room. <laughs> um, one woman who walked in in an EPA uh, for, it was for My Fair Lady, and they were told to bring in classic Broadway. Um, and this woman walked in, had the music, like, rolled in, uh, um, you know, when you just oh, you roll, roll it, it all, like roll it all yeah. up. And hit the pianist on the head with it. It didn't hurt, of course, but certainly not what you expect. And she said, I just have this piece of shit from Oklahoma. Great. And then while she was singing, I can't say no. What a piece of shit song that is, obviously. Um, she walked over and she sings, um, I'm just a fool when lights are low. She turned out the lights. So she's making choices. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you know, it goes... E either way. You're either going to have genius, you're going to make a big choice and get hired, or you're going to make a big choice and never never be seen from again. Right. I mean, I just auditioned a production of Macbeth that only had six girls in it. That was it. It was a production done for six girls to be schoolgirls doing Macbeth. And people came into the EPAs in their 60s, 70s. And I said, you do know these are supposed to be schoolgirls. And men would come in. And you have to see them. They said, yeah, there was a mistake in the breakdown. And I said, really? Because I wrote it. Oh. Well, it says they're teenagers. And I said, that's because they're teenagers. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but God bless you because you still want to work with, with, with them and you still want to give them jobs and you still want to tell good stories. So, Well, one of them at least was smart enough to say, Stuart, you've cast me before. Are you never going to cast me again now that I'm here? And I said, no, you can say I'm sorry for wasting your time, though. And she said, "Yeah, I am." Uh, I mean, the, you know, and I got to tell you, I'm sure. I hope you know this, but you know, the word on the street is when people go into audition for you, they just feel so at home, and they feel like it's such a warm, welcoming, positive environment. And you know, that's something that you've obviously have cultivated over the years. But you know, just I, I hope you're aware of that. I'm sure you are. People have told me that, and it is always beyond great to hear it, because if I've made this difficult part of their lives a little easier, well, good for me then. It's not fun. It's it's, it's a hard job, and it, it's it's not fun when you know you're putting yourself <laughs> out there, and you know something like the reward will be the job, but you know that reward comes so infrequently. Totally infrequently. And, but often you run across actors who treat it as a profession. Yeah. Who come in the room and just, here I am. And they don't make fun of or talk down to the pianist and just sing the song, and make us listen. Mm, mm. Um, and so if I can do an inch in the outside of the room by just making them feel a little more comfortable, well, good. That's great. 
Stuart, this is, I, I got to tell you, this has just been a fabulous conversation with you. I'm so grateful that you agreed to do it. You've given us a plethora of great stories, so thank you for that. My pleasure. Awesome. Stuart, take care of yourself up there. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy, and let us know when you get into the city. Thanks so much, and thanks back to you. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.